Imagine traveling to a faraway country and you meet somebody and you fall in love and all of a sudden you find yourself married, raising kids on the other side of the planet. We're joined by Lisa Anderson, who was teaching English uh, in Italy in 1997, met Mauro in 97, a couple years later married, now two children. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us about your home in Italy. Where do you live? What's it like? I live in a really small town about an hour south of Turin. Nobody knows it. It's barely on the map. It's between Cuneo and Mondovi, and it's got a population of about 3,000 people, and most of them like to speak Piemontese more than Italian. Wow. So going into that culture was uh, quite different. So this is the, the region of Piedmont, this which is has the region its own of Piedmont, pride then. Foot and, of the mountains. And you fell in love with Mauro, and you're living in his hometown. In his hometown, and we ended up living in his parents' house. Whoa. Which was a real shocker for me. And you're, you've kept your name, so you're Lisa Absolutely. Anderson. What's Mauro's family name? Pezino. Pezino. Is that no big deal in Italy for a, a wife to keep her name? A woman always keeps her name in Italy. Oh, is that right? Your name is your name. You would never change to your ah, husband's name. Interesting. Even on tombstones, they'll have who you're the widow of so that they know who you were married to. So they put it together. Mm-hmm. And the children have the father's name. And the children take the father's name. Okay. Now you're in close quarters with the in-laws. I was. They have both passed away, but I okay. lived for many years next to them. What is the sort of clichetic view of in-law, like mother-in-laws and so on, in, in Italy? Invasive. Invasive. That's that you're a good word. never good enough. Never good enough. So she wants you, and the men are famous as uh, mamone, right? Absolutely. Mamone, mam- mama's boys, but really in Italian, it's mama's kids now because Italian children are really, really spoiled. It doesn't matter if they're boys or girls. They're just all doted on from the time they're born until they leave the house, which they often never do. They do what we ended up doing and living next door to the parents. I've heard about this. Italian boys, they stay at home until 20s, into their 30s. Absolutely. have a tough time cutting the umbilicone. The umbilical cord, yeah. You know, Mauro didn't leave home ever, and his parents, his dad was a mason, and he built a house with two living units. And when he had grown up, he actually shared a room with his sister until he was 18 years old and she got married. She's five years older than he was. And then he finally had his own bedroom. So a boy and a girl sharing a room, because that's just what it was, because grandma lived with them. And then about that same time, Pino started to build this house. So he was a mason. He had bought land years before. Uh, Mauro's mom used it to farm strawberries for years and years until they could get the plan together to build the house. Mauro's sister could have come to live in this house with two. It's two apartments, one house with a big garden around it. And that in itself is unusual because most people live in apartments, right? Yeah. Instead, her husband, of course, didn't want to move far away from his parents. And they had an apartment right next door to her in-laws that was offered by them for them to live in. So the younger generation generally wants to stay close to their parents. Oh, yeah. And when you get married, who wins the tug-of-war? Uh, I would say it really is a crapshoot. Really? Often the woman, but not always. Hmm. So Nadia, my sister-in-law, her husband didn't want to move out of town. He liked living in the city. It was a city of about 65,000 people called Cuneo. Boy, I have to say, if I had to choose between mother-in-laws, mine was... You were lucky. The winner, hands down. <laughs> but now, mother-in-laws across the board, invasive in Italy. Yeah, Is that because be. they love you or because they don't want to lose their, their child? I think both, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I know my mother-in-law loved me. Well, she would never have told me that. But she would I know have never she told loved you that. Me. No, but she told people around her, <laughs> my bus driver has an aunt in the town that I live in, and she knew my mother-in-law. And apparently my mother-in-law told her one day that she really liked me. 
And so she it was never very told funny to you. have it. No, she never told me. What did you learn from your mother-in-law? Oh, I learned all sorts of things. Uh, I learned how to breastfeed, actually, which was pretty funny. I learned. <laughs> why, why was it funny? <laughs> just because it was really important to her after our first son was born. My mom came for the birth, but my mother-in-law really wanted to be in the hospital the next day with me. And oh, she wanted you to get things off on the right footing as, exactly. as a mom. And so she had she, the right way to do it. Yeah. And she was good at it. My mother was uh, so gracious enough to just... she herself in there before yeah. your, your actual mother. Well, and my mother was gracious and really just stepped yeah. down. Yeah. And that's a cultural difference because I think she understood how important it was to Maria. You managed to satisfy your mother-in-law in that respect. Yeah. What, what sort of communication challenges did you have with you know, when just we first, relating to older generation in Italy and invasive mother-in-law and so on? At first, we were living very close to them because, like I said, we had these two living units, but we didn't have anything in our apartment. We had no kitchen, no nothing. So we had to eat every day with my mother-in-law. I spoke a bit of Italian at the time, but I wasn't fluent like I am today. And my in-laws would rather have spoken Piemontese dialect than even Italian. And so a lot of times they would be having conversations that would just go over my head because Piemontese, I always say, sounds like a drunk Frenchman talking. It's more closely related to the French language than it is huh. to the Italian language. A lot of travelers don't appreciate all the strong, the real serious dialects within a single country it's like amazing. in Italy. You fell in love with an Italian guy while you were traveling in Italy or working or teaching in Italy. Uh, what advice do you have for American women sightseeing in Italy with the pitfalls of very romantic <laughs> Italian men? A friend of mine just told me they did a poll in uh, Europe about who were the best lovers in uh, Europe and the answer was Italians for the first two weeks. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Well, they've got that funny thing about if you don't fall in love with a gondolier in Venice, anybody who does has hams over their eyes, right? Exactly. Well, how do you say that in Italian? E che hanno prosciutto sulle, sugli occhi. <laughs> so in other words, don't be blinded so by their charm. Blinded, no. Great, great romantic guys for two weeks. Exactly. Well, you're 12 years into it. He must have been uh, <laughs> lucky about that. We have an email from Heather in Connecticut, and she says, we're thinking of moving abroad with our children. What's the best way to introduce a new language to them? How much familiarity should they have before moving? This is interesting because I know that you are committed to raising your kids with two languages. Absolutely. Why and how? It is easy for children to learn uh, a second, third, or even fourth language, especially depending on the age. It doesn't confuse them. No. They say oftentimes children that are learning two languages might begin to speak a little bit later, although that wasn't the case with us. I think it really depends on the child. Filippo... My oldest started speaking at 15 months, and once he started, I couldn't shut him up. And I remember, because he spoke more Italian than English, I had always spoken to him in English, and he came to the States. We came for about a six-week period, and for the first week, he kept speaking to me and expecting me to translate for him. And I literally told him, I mean, this is a 15-month-year-old child who, you know, he has limited vocabulary, obviously. But I said, Filippo, I'm not going to translate for you anymore. You speak English. Go. And seriously, from that point on, he never stopped. From 15 months on. From 15 months on. And now, last year, I went to a parent-teacher conference, and his English teacher said, I was going to take private English lessons, but then I realized I just need to talk to Filippo more. <laughs> so, and, and Filippo's nine now. He's nine. So he can teach his English teacher. Exactly. He was eight at the time, so Whoa. it was pretty amazing. So what, what are the parameters or sort of the rules you set in your family for uh, raising bilingual children? Does Mauro speak one language with them? Uh, do you watch TV in English rather than Italian? Or, or what are your tricks? Uh, Mauro always speaks Italian with the children or okay. rarely speaks English, depending right. on where we are. I always speak English with the children unless we're with somebody and we uh-huh. need to be polite. And together, Mauro and I honestly speak just a real mix of it's probably 
80% Italian in our house and 20% English uh-huh. if we're speaking to each other. Uh-huh. And the kids just pick it up, and it's amazing how, how savvy they are. And now you've got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a nine-year-old. How do they communicate? They usually speak in Italian with each other. Is that curious but to you? Or? It is, but then when they're in America, when they come to visit grandparents and whatnot, they'll start speaking in English to each other. Wow. And then there are certain words, but they always watch, if they want to watch cartoons or a movie, they always want to watch in English. And uh, not long ago, Emanuele was, uh, I think I was on tour, Mauro was sitting down and was turning on cartoons for Emanuele, and it came on in Italian because we have a satellite that allows us to switch the language. And Emanuele said, non capisco, non capisco, I don't understand, I don't understand. And Mauro, or no, non, non sento, I, don't, I can't hear it. And Mauro's like, what, what? And he finally understood that he wanted it switched to English. Yeah, well, some I suppose some action hero just is supposed to speak English. To speak it's English. this American sort of cartoon. And you can't watch Scooby-Doo with Italian. <laughs> Any regrets from a parenting point of view about having children outside of the United States, raising kids in Italy? What are the pros and the cons? No, I don't have any regrets. I think it's amazing for them to be raised in another culture. Uh, If I didn't have the ability to visit the States as much as I do, I think I would feel very lost and that they were missing out on a big part of my culture. But Mauro's great because he... He says, you know, your parents are still there, your culture is there, and when you have the chance, you should absolutely go home. And so I try to spend, you know, at least one month out of the year coming back to the States and so that they also have an idea of what our culture here is like because it is quite different. Well, they're quite different. Different approach to time and a different approach to community and a different approach to materialism. Absolutely. And then I know parents, you know, you take two parents, they're two different religions or they're two different political cultures or whatever, and there's some tension there. Now, you as an American, your husband as Italian, what sort of um, struggles do you have when it comes to selfishly, lovingly raising your kids with your vision? How do you and Mauro deal with that, or are there issues? Uh, We haven't had any major issues yet. We have some different ideas about disciplining our children. How do Italians discipline their children? They don't very much. Ah, Italian kids are very spoiled. And my husband wasn't really a normal Italian by that sense. And he was willing to discipline. When my mother-in-law was around, it was really funny because uh, she used to get so upset with me. I could see if I was disciplining my children, like she would be lenient, grandparent, whatnot. But I later found out from my sister-in-law and from Mauro when he started to talk about it that she was really strict when they were growing up. And so it was very strange. You know, there was a double standard there or a different standard that applied with grandchildren. And she used to make me feel so guilty. You put him in in a timeout? What? He couldn't have been doing anything that bad. Why would <laughs> he deserve out. to have done that? I'm Rick Steves. I'm wishing I was raised in Italy when it comes to punishment. And I'm talking with Lisa Anderson about parenting uh, in a bicultural, bilingual way. What, what is it now that you're into Italy about the tempo of life? In a small town, it's it must be a lot slower than what you're accustomed to in America. Yeah, we have a very, you know, relaxed, easygoing life. Uh, I can get everything I need in my life by walking. You right. know, I walk the kids across the street to school, down the block. Uh, I have a butcher's. I have a baker's. Actually, I have three butchers, three bakers, and three little supermarkets within walking distance of my house, all within about 15 minutes of each other, and the best gelato. Now, that takes more time than just going to the supermarket. Is it worth the time? Actually, it takes less time. Really? Well, it takes more time in the sense that I probably wouldn't go for a big run because when I go into town, I'll walk or take my bike. So I might go daily, and I talk to people. Are you accepted after 10 years in a a small town? Yeah. You're the American woman. Absolutely. The American woman who who took away Morrow. Exactly. I married 
Pezin Chot, the that's short Pezino. But now I have my own Pezino Chot. That's the dialect. Oh, that's for, right. Well, that's what they call my children. But uh, no, I am now, but because my mother-in-law really Pezino, pres- represented... Pezino, what's Pezino is my husband's name. Oh, okay. His last so you're name. a little Pezino. Pezin, yeah. yeah, little Pezinos. Uh, my mother-in-law took me into town when I first moved in, and she presented me to the people that she knew. And she had been there for years because she married uh, Pino, who had gone to Benete when he was eight years old. So, Lisa, you're the uh, classic sort of young family now. You got your uh, wonderful Italian husband, and you got uh, two little boys, nine and three and a half. What do you do when you go on a weekend holiday? Do you pack up the tent and go camping? Uh, <laughs> head up to no. Switzerland? Or what? You live like... How far from, you live near Torino, basically. I live near Torino. I say on a dotted line between Milan and Nice, France. Uh-huh. I live two-thirds of the way towards Nice. Okay, so you're close to a lot of great stuff on the beach, up in the mountains and so on. Absolutely. What are the highlights from a family vacation point of view in that part of Italy? Last year we went to Val d'Aosta the mm. day after Easter, which was really, really fun. Now that's just south of Chamonix or just over the Mont Blanc from Chamonix, Exactly, right? and it's yeah. on the border between France and Italy, and then you have the St. Bernardo Pass that goes over to Switzerland mm. on the northern end of Val d'Aosta. That's where the Olympic Games right. were held in Italy, the skiing events, and it's a beautiful area. It's so different because, I, you know, I'd always traveled in the Dolomites, and the Dolomites are very Germanic-feeling. Everything is right. very tidy Yeah, but and this is more precise. French, isn't it? This is French, Italian, very relaxed. Yeah. It's not always tidy. St. Bernard's. St. <laughs> Bernard's, yes. <laughs> that sort of thing. What is the Italian middle-class family way to camp? Do, do people camp like they do in the United States? A lot of people. I know a lot of people who camp. I couldn't pay my husband to camp. So I you go to think. hotels then? We go to a hotel. You know, just a nice, clean hotel. It doesn't have to be fancy. North of uh, Milan, there's all these different lakes. What's the best lake from a family vacation point of view? You know what? I like them all. Uh, but I like... I like Lake Como, Lake Como, I guess, yeah. and that's because we as a family like to go walking a lot. We like to go on hikes up in the hills, and you can walk out of Como for hours and hours, and it's absolutely beautiful. Let's talk about a few things just quickly about parenting in Italy. How do people handle daycare? Is it a two-income family, one-income family generally? It's, this is uh, something that's switching in Italy right now. A lot of women are starting to work. You really need two incomes in Italy. Incomes are relatively low. The average income in Italy is 1,200 euro a month which is not a lot of money. $1,500 a about month. About $1,500 a month. Wow. So that's like about $18,000 a year. Yep. Not much. So it takes two incomes to make it in Italy these days. It does. That means more daycare. That means more daycare, and we have uh, the, the state-funded daycare. For those who have access to it, can start at six months. However, there are not enough of those to go around, so we have what we call baby parking. Baby parking. Baby parking. It's private daycare. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive, though. When I talk to my friends here in the U.S., uh, they're very jealous of what we have. So it's cheap and reasonable quality? Yeah. And you feel comfortable leaving your kid there? Absolutely. The one in my town was fabulous. How about school choices? Does everybody just go to the neighborhood school, or is there a lot of jockeying and trying to get your kids into a certain school? Where I live, there's not a lot of jockeying. And our children start what we call scuola materna at the age of three. And it's basically state-subsidized daycare. It's a great school. Age they go of three. Oh. Three, three, four, and five, and then they start first grade elementary school. Now, you're, you're the mother of two boys, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of mothers who have uh, girls are very concerned about the pressure by the media to have their girls become supermodels and so on. Is that the same in Italy? Because I know Italy has a lot of trashy TV well, that is, turns girls and, into I boy mean, toys. Our prime minister's TV media set yeah. is the icon. So I mean, de- they have all eating, the showgirls eating disorders on. that go with that and so on is a concern in Italy? I think... There are enough eating disorders that are going on, and the girls certainly are encouraged to be pretty. I mean, when you have your prime right. minister going out with showgirls, so that's and sort of an ethic in Italy. Then. Becoming on internet, yeah. getting on internet afternoon news for so that reason. So you got a cute babe at your side if uh, you're a big shot in Italy. Uh, what about birds and bees? Who gives the talk? There's supposed to be sex education in the school. Right. I will certainly talk to my children about that when the time comes. 
Is there domestic violence in Italy? It's such a macho Yeah, world. there is. And is that's that, something that, a, that they've that been focusing on. Is that or is it coming out more? No, it's coming out more and more. Actually, one of the things that they've been trying to take attention away from the, the whole idea of showgirls and having these beautiful women all around, and they're trying to put the focus on domestic violence, which... It's the reality. Yeah. The reality of people watching those TV shows. How's divorce in Italy? Is it, uh, it's a Catholic country. Does that relate to the divorce laws and community property, and, and what are the standards it there? It used to... The divorce rate used to be really low in Italy. It's now up to 50%, which I think is about on par with America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes three years of legal separation before you can have a divorce. And then is it community property in Italy? You know, I'm a little fuzzy on this, and this mm-hmm. is something I've been talking to a girlfriend about lately. It depends on how long you've been married, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the woman worked or was a housewife, and theoretically, if a woman separates from a man and she is entitled to child support... She gets one-fifth of his income. So are there a lot of women who have had marriages fall apart that are left impoverished and with children? Yes and no. You know, we have a lot more family support still. You have the strong family support. Yeah, and that makes a very big difference. That's huge. Uh, What about medical insurance? Is that straightforward for your family? Very straightforward. And the system works really well where I live. Depends on what region you live in Italy. This is national health care? This is national health care, but national health care is managed on a regional level. I used the system to have a hip replacement years ago, honestly, and spent three weeks in the hospital. In Italy? Because you do physical therapy afterwards in the hospital. By national health care? By national health care. And I had to pay, we we call it a ticket. You have to pay, Mm -hmm. when you go and you get your x-rays, I think I had to pay 34 euro. Okay, 50 bucks. Yeah. And I chose to lubricate the system by choosing my own doctor. So I paid for a private visit to my doctor. I went to a surgeon that was considered one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. That was a 200-euro visit. So you paid extra, lubricate the system. That uh-huh. means pay extra to get a little extra variety uh-huh. or choice. And you end up paying $300 more for the choice of a doctor. You got the best in the country. Exactly. And you got your hip. Exactly. What do you pay every year for national health care in, in Italy? It comes out of my husband's taxes. So it's just you know, covered. He has family about of four. 45, 48% that's taken out of his. All right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Lisa Anderson, who spent, uh, well, last 14 years in Italy, uh, happily married, two beautiful boys, a nine-year-old Filippo, three-and-a-half-year-old Manuele. Lisa, you're traveling around the United States. I would imagine as you prepare to fly back to Italy, you'll bring a little touch of your home country home for your kids. Uh, what do they look forward to when mom comes home? I bring jawbreakers, peanut butter, beef jerky, and maple syrup. And Filippo, smoked salmon. Filippo and Manuele and your husband, Mauro, will probably all jump for joy. Yes. Mommy's home. Jawbreakers, beef jerky, smoked salmon. My husband probably sits there and cringes, yeah. and the children love it. I can just see that in Italian going, oh, great, rolling their eyes, jawbreakers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Lisa, I hope that you have a smooth return home, and uh, give my best to your family. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rick. Ciao. Grazie. Ciao, ciao. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. Rick Steves' Italy is America's top-selling Italian guidebook. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guides for Rome, Venice, Florence, and Tuscany, and Rick's Italian phrasebook. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for Italy and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.